Hello, sword people. Welcome to the Sword Guy podcast. This is your host, Dr. Guy Windsor, consulting swordsman, teacher, and writer. Join me for interviews with historical fencing instructors and experts from a wide range of related disciplines as we discuss swords, history, training, and bring the joy of historical martial arts into our modern lives. I'm here today with Eleonora Rebecki, who is the creative director at Malaeus Martialis, producer of excellent training swords, as well as a practicing historical fencer and a graphic artist who has done some lovely covers for me. So without further ado, Eleonora, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Hi, <laughs> guys. Where, <laughs> hello. It's nice to see you again. And whereabouts are you? Yeah. Yeah, for me too. Where, whereabouts are you? Right now, I'm uh, in Italy, Florence, <laughs> and uh, but I'm not Florentine though. Uh, my hometown is Mantua and Lombardy. I moved 10 years ago in Florence, and mm-hmm. after some years, I joined Malus Martialis. This is my story, the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, because I mean, I met you in Florence. Oh, by the way, saying you just live in Florence has made probably 90% of the people listening want, want to kill you. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, we met in Florence in like 2015. Um, I don't think I've seen you in person since then. Um, but just for people listening, what is it actually like living in Florence? Well, uh, it's kind of um, difficult if you live uh, near the city center. Uh, I lived there um, about 10 minutes from the center uh, when when I moved. And uh, I lived there for 10 years, uh, nine more or less, because uh, then I moved to Impruneta. Uh, and um, there are, as you know, many tourists and uh, yes. A lot of events, a lot of uh, uh, situations uh, uh, to to for the movida, <laughs> for for the nightlife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's it's a city, and um, I I really loved the the fact that I was uh, near uh, those huge and wonderful works of art. Uh, because living in Florence means you have uh, many things to see every day. But if you are working hard as I did in the last (laughs) 10 years, uh, you have to organize well your time to enjoy the Mm. city properly. (laughs) So you're not living in the same place that you were when I met you in 2015. You've moved. Exactly. Exactly. So you moved out to Impruneta. Absolutely. (laughs) I I can see how that might might help you get more work done because <laughs> Florence is a very distracting place yeah yeah but um, Impruneta is uh, beautiful because you are uh, on the hills on the Chianti hills mm-hmm. so there are a lot of wineries uh, there are a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, places <laughs> where to relax and take some time to to also slow down because mm-hmm. uh, for me, uh, work is a huge part of, uh, of my life uh, and I really, really need to, uh, to slow down and chill and meditate 
Right. Okay. I, I am a very calm person, or I try to be a very calm person. <laughs> uh, okay, so is it true that you could actually sing? Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> I devoted the most part of my previous life, because it sounds is exactly like this, <laughs> to study singing and classical singing. When I was a child, I was enchanted by Disney songs and I knew lots of them by heart. So when I was 10, I went to my parents and said, when I'm a grown up, I will be a famous singer. Life brought me somewhere else. And even if it is, if it wasn't an easy decision, uh, I know I did the right thing in the end. So you actually trained professionally? Yes. Okay. W would you like to sing a little bit? <laughs> I knew that. <laughs> I mean, I I'm here for the listeners, right? It's my job to, to give the listeners absolutely the best experience they can get. So, so you know, would you... Would you, you could, Sing a couple of notes if you like, or we can cut yes. this bit out if you say no. I've no, no, that's okay. Um, right now, uh, there's a, a live action uh, uh, that's coming, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, I really like, and I, I really, I, I really fond of it. Uh, that's the Little Mermaid. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> I know the Italian version. Uh, <laughs> but I will try to. <laughs> go on then, go on then. Guardate un po' quello che ho, è una raccolta preziosa, lo so. Vi sembrerà che io sia una che ho tutto ormai. Che tesori, che ricchezze, chi mai al mondo ne ha quanto me. Se guardi intorno dirai. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> so but, you can actually but sing. Also, but also, yeah. uh, we have Ursula. Io la gioia darò a chi vorrà. C'è chi vuole dimagrire, chi soffre per amore con me. <laughs> Guarirà. <laughs> 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 well, that was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. I I just I just hope that my um, sound editing skills are up to the task of making that sound as good on the recording as it should do. That was brilliant. All right. So so you were you were heading towards being a professional singer. So what stopped you? What made you change your mind? Um, I I think that. Uh, Mostly money and wrong decisions during the path uh, led okay. me to stop with it. Um, because I wanted, I really wanted to uh, make a classical singing career. I wanted mm -hmm. to uh, sing in the theaters and making auditions and so on. But uh, this took a lot of resources from uh, <laughs> a money point of view, from a financial so, point of view. Uh, and I wasn't that wealthy to uh, afford all, all the process. Um, also, I really liked to, to teach uh, mm -hmm. and to, to share my, my knowledge about classical singing. Uh, 
and that was another thing that I could have uh, developed through the years. Uh, but in the end, I said to myself, uh, if I can't do this properly and as it was meant to be, I won't make it. That's that's right. the, the the deal, you know. Um, it was so precious and so important to me that uh, I wouldn't want to uh, to um, to to make it not properly as I wished. Right. Yeah. I I, like, I think if I couldn't do swords for a living, I'd probably stop them altogether for the same reason. Yeah. Like, I yeah, I, either a hundred percent or nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there were many tears <laughs> at the <laughs> time. <laughs> so there was like one particular day when you said, right, no, I'm, I quit. Bob. Yes. And I no. never sang uh, again from that moment on. Well, you just did. Yes, <laughs> with friends or uh, uh, when I shower. <laughs> but and not on I, stage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that must be pretty hard. <laughs> but historical martial arts came in that period of my life. Okay. So you, you traded singing for the sword. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> well, if you had ever heard me sing, you would beg me to trade singing for swords. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Every, everyone can sing. You only need some practice. Do you know, in theory, I believe that every skill can be learned. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But I don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think the world will be better off with me singing in it, to be honest. <laughs> we, we can sing together one day. <laughs> okay, okay. Let in, me judge. In Italy, <laughs> in, Italy, in Italy, with enough wine, let's do it. Absolutely. Great, yes, great. Deal, deal. <laughs> But no recordings. No, no, recordings. no, 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 no. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how, how did you get into historical martial arts? Uh, it was the dark period <laughs> when, right. I was, when I was uh, uh, deciding what to do. Um, I graduated in 2011 at the Academy of Fine Arts in Bologna. And uh, after that, I was forced to come home again in Mantua. Uh, that wasn't positive for me. I wasn't happy, but I needed to build a new life in my hometown. So I joined the reenactment group to practice historical fencing. Okay. I was fascinated by the history behind the sport and the harmony of this discipline. That's okay. why. So, so, but it's a long way from doing historical martial arts with the reenactment group in Mantua to running a sword making business in Florence. So, <laughs> what, what, what were the gaps? The gaps uh, are that um, I met Rodolfo. Mm -hmm. uh, one year later, I joined this reenactment group and started to practice uh, historical fencing uh, at an event, at a reenactment event. Uh, in Italy. And just for the listeners, this is Rodolfo Tanara who makes most yes. of the swords at Malas Mateos. Exactly, the sword okay. maker. <laughs> right. And uh, we met uh, at this event and we decided to uh, 
to, 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 I don't know, it's not, we didn't engage in the first place, but now we are, we are engaged. Oh, <laughs> After 10 years, yes, <laughs> we can say so. <laughs> And um, and that was uh, uh, his dream because uh, he always wanted to make swords for a living. Uh, mm -hmm. He was a doctor. He started to be a doctor before. Uh, and when I saw the project, uh, I knew he needed a sidekick to to help right. him in the everyday papers, design, promotion of the products, and so on. And in a way, I was the right person at the right time. Uh, okay. So th this is the the, the situation. Uh, we we liked each other almost immediately, and uh, after some years, uh, I I said to him, "You need me. Take me." <laughs> 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 yes. Okay. So so. That's how Malaya's Mafia started as a business. Yes. But Rodolfo had been making swords before that. Yeah, he was okay. making swords uh, in his free time and he was studying to, to make them. Uh, mm -hmm. Also by uh, learning from uh, blacksmiths and mm -hmm. so on. Uh, and from, from books, of course. <laughs> uh, but um, in the end, he decided to, uh, to open the, the company. And it was quite challenging. Was that 2015? That was 2014, yes. 2014. I think you just started when you had just started as a company when I met you in like February 2015. Yeah. And we went and visited the workshop where stuff was being made and let me be frank at the time I thought well yeah this is okay I had no idea that you would start <laughs> producing such gorgeous swords I mean it wasn't it wasn't obvious from where things were at the beginning of 2015 that you would ever be producing swords the way they live now it so wasn't. I don't know what happened <laughs> <laughs> Like obviously, obviously, Rodolfo learned his craft, um, but I think probably the sword design is part of what changed also. Yes. Is that um, fair? I, I think that um, the real reason why we improved through the years uh, is uh, surely that we joined our forces and our mm -hmm. skills, but that we were able to learn from our errors because we did a lot of errors <laughs> <laughs> of course <laughs> and um, and it was like um, opening uh, a company uh, without mm -hmm. any idea about what a business is <laughs> I was the same I was the same yes <laughs> I mean it why was, yeah let's do it <laughs> Just, just do it. Just, just, just do it, and you'll learn how to do it as it goes. That, that was yeah. my approach, and and it worked. So, worked for me, worked for you. Exactly. Um, but yes, uh, surely the communication between us uh, and the um, the joining of design and craftsmanship uh, were developing together and improving together uh, was uh, was something really important to to 
make the, the, the sorts we are making now. Okay, so what do you think makes a good sword? Hmm. I think that when aesthetics uh, meets proper dynamics and ergonomics, you have a good sword. Uh, okay, truly so aesthetics, sense. dynamics, ergonomics. Yes. All right. So those are three kind of technical terms, and I think I understand what you mean, but I'm guessing that some of the listeners might not, and I may be completely wrong too. So aesthetics, what the sword looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, ergonomics is how it handles. So what is dynamics? Uh, the ergonomics is also uh, how it is in your hand because yeah. many many times uh, uh, the grips and the, the the part you actually handle is yeah. not is not uh, taken seriously. <laughs> you know? I know. Okay, I literally I just posted a video where I took this this cheap training rapier, and the one thing I had to do to make it work well as a sword was fix the handle. Yeah. That's all it needed. But yeah. the handles that generally come on swords are, for want of a better word, shit. Exactly. Right. They, <laughs> they're, not, they're, not, they're not designed as an interface between the blade and the body. They're designed mm. as a piece of wood that you can wrap your fingers around so you don't drop the sword. And that's not what the handle is for. <laughs> Yeah, also because uh, depending, for example, depending on uh, the the main uh, uh, characteristic of the sword, like, for example, you have a sword that uh, mainly trusts or you have yeah. a sword that mainly cuts, then uh, the grips are different. Uh, the, the shape of them are different. Um, yeah, but okay, but, but they're different in a way that you can see and I can see and I can certainly feel, but it isn't obvious to, I mean, I don't think most people who aren't sword people, I mean, anyone can tell the difference between a long sword and a rapier just by looking yeah. at it and go, oh yeah, the one with the fancy bits around the handle, that's the rapier, yeah. right? But these sorts of differences we're talking about are matters of, of nuance and degree, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So what? So what? How would you describe the difference then between a primarily cutting handle and a prim primarily thrusting handle? Uh, in my experience, uh, it's about the um, the position of the end and the on on the grip and mm -hmm. uh, the the shape that um, derives from it. If you have to cut. Uh, you will have a, a very precise uh, alignment of, of the of the arm, and the the sword will have a more flattened uh, grip. Okay. Uh, whereas uh, if you if you have to to trust uh, and if you have to uh, go in circles with your with your hand and with mm -hmm. your sword, uh, a more rounded uh, shape of grip is recommended. Uh, of course, every sword has uh, a different kind of uh, grip, and I'm mm -hmm. really, really trying to uh, make uh, a summary of these concepts. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. Well, I mean, like for my rapiers, they tend to have like a flattened octagon 
octagonal yeah. section. Yeah. Right. Um, whereas my long swords tend to have a kind of slim oval cross section. Yeah. Um, um, but it's also uh, about the um, the thickness of the, yeah. of the grip, and uh, yeah. of course. Uh, it also depends on the um, the length and on the the weight and on the techniques you have to apply. Yeah. For example, a small sword. Uh, we we go to to very different uh, swords. Uh, the small sword will have a very oval and rounded uh, grip uh, in the front profile of the of the grip. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, while but it's very uh, slim and very short. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. While a long sword will be, um, if you have to cut and truss, because long sword is uh, kind of uh, does uh, everything. Yes, exactly. The Swiss then, Army knife, really. Yes, it it will be something in the middle. Uh, that that's why that's why I I said that I was trying to give a very short summary of the concept because it's yes. very huge. Well, well, here's here's a thought for you. An axe handle, I mean, pretty much everyone knows what that looks like. It's sort of um, very flat and quite wide, but slim. Yeah. So if, if, it's, if the axe is in your hand, it's quite wide from wrist to finger, but it's yeah. quite slim from palm up, right? Yeah. Which gives you perfect edge alignment when you're chopping down a tree. Exactly. Um, whereas a spear tends to have a round section. Exactly. Although, although... Spear handles that are made in the traditional way with coppiced poles are slightly oval. Yeah, and right? so you can you can feel your edge. Yeah, and octagonal. Yeah. So you you do get your edge alignment. Um, these modern machine produced spear poles they don't give you that edge alignment, which is a little bit annoying for me because I'm exactly. a bit of a purist. Exactly. <laughs> okay. okay, so that's ergonomics. What about dynamics? Dynamics uh, is how the sword moves. Uh, it's yeah. Okay. This is this is sorry to interrupt you, but this when I my new longsword, the thing I don't understand about it is it's light and it's it has that kind of light, accurate, precise feel to it, but it still hits like a motherfucker, <laughs> right? And yeah. it's like it should be. If, if 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 it can hit like that, it shouldn't quite handle like that. It's a little bit like having kind of Ferrari agility, but yeah. tractor-like torque. There's a reason why. Yeah, tell me, tell me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't the, get it. The, the reason is uh, about the, the um, uh, dynamic properties related to the shape of the, of the sword. Okay. Um, that that particular sword uh, is a long sword uh, based on German findings. It's. I'll I'll put a picture in the show notes so people can see it. Yeah. I'll also put the unboxing video so people can see me handling it, and then they maybe will understand. Because when I was handling it, I had that huh, <laughs> how the fuck can it do that moment? <laughs> right. So I'll put a link to that video in the show notes as well. But okay, sorry. Carry on. And. Um, the the shape of the of the blade 
mm-hmm. is really the change maker. <laughs> right. Because um, it, it is narrow, but uh, at the same time, it has parallel edges. Uh, this gives you uh, presence uh, in uh, in the bind uh, more than a two. Oh, uh, so I just wanted to get it off the rack. So it's got it yeah. is quite from the handle to about two thirds, three quarters of the way down the blade. Exactly. It's the edges are almost parallel. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And they're not strictly are... parallel, but they're just they're they're only tapering very slightly. Exactly, okay. exactly. If you uh, compare it to um, an stock uh, mm-hmm. with a triangular shape uh, of blade, uh, then you will have a lot of presence in the last third and less presence uh, from the middle to, to the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's, that's because of the, of the shape and the anatomy of the blade. So the miracle is made by, of course, the tapering, of course, the various parts. But in this case, um, for, for, from the shape of, of the blade. Okay. <laughs> right. And I mean, I imagine there's some sort of trade secrets in exactly how that's accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but anyone, anyone who comes to my house is welcome to have a look at my sword, so they could maybe figure it out from that. But okay. So, so do you actually design all of that yourself? Yes. Okay. I, I make stuff, right? And when I'm making, for example, a chest of drawers or something, I'll have like the external measurements where it needs to fit. And so maybe it's you know, this wide, this deep, this high. And maybe I know I want this many drawers. And then I just go into my workshop and just make it. Right? I don't, I don't measure anything other than the external measurements. Right? Everything else is taken sort of from itself. So like the thickness of the wood, it may turn out a bit thick or it may turn out a bit thin. It doesn't matter. I don't get it to a particular thickness. I make it look right and feel right and just sort of do it all sort of in in the process mm-hmm. okay whereas i think you're actually designing things you're thinking it out clearly in your head first and then giving rodolfo pretty specific dimensions and things so here go make this precisely is that correct yeah yeah exactly okay <laughs> right um the 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 real uh, value uh, that Rodolfo brings after the the design uh, is that I give I always give him um, approximate uh, information oh. about the the blade because yes he has the design he has the shape uh, he, he knows that uh, the blade has to behave in in a way. Uh, that I figured out uh, in the beginning when I started to design it and accomplished it. But um, he knows how to make it work. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. uh, when, when we join, this is our great uh, force, strength. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's about the fact that we are able, we, we learned and now we are able to communicate and and that is something that i want to uh highlight 
because mm -hmm. I re I already mm, tell about this uh, some minutes ago. Uh, but this is the, the secret. The secret of the trade is communication. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. And and yeah, I, I have friends who are swordsmiths and there's absolutely nothing worse than a customer sending a design to a smith who actually hits things with hammers, right? And the design is like to a tenth of a millimeter in every dimension because there's just no scope there for the smith to actually you know apply their art right mm -hmm. it's like treat it's like treating the smith like a cnc machine right yeah. so but on the other hand you have to you have to give just enough information that the smith knows what you want and then they can apply their skill and experience to actually producing it mm-hmm um luckily i don't think i uh, have ever accepted um a work in this way i i never okay. had uh, a customer who, who sent or if if there was some someone i i, I said no <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> because luckily i i can choose to enjoy my work Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, this is something that um, I, I always like uh, sharing experiences and sharing impressions with the customers and also if they send me a sketch if they send um, some, uh, some uh, preferences you know mm -hmm. um, it's something that I really love because uh, uh, we communicate again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although I think when, when I ordered custom stuff, like the last time I ordered a custom bullwhip, for example, I said, I need it. And an eight foot whip, which has like, so that the, the lash is eight foot. And then you've got the, the fall and the cracker, which adds to that. So total reach is maybe, uh, 12, 13 feet. And then I said, okay, so I need a, an eight foot bullwhip. Right. Make me the eight foot bullwhip that you don't want to let out of your shop because you want to keep it for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that, that was because, because the guy I was ordering it from, a guy called uh, Alex Jacob, he knows vastly more about bullwhips than I will ever know. And he is an amazing sort of whip cracker and expert in, in that area. And there's just no way I'm going to know more about, you know, what will make a good whip than he does. So yeah. I needed an eight footer. I said, Alex, make me an eight foot bullwhip. Make me the one that you don't want you know, to let out of your shop because you want to keep it. <laughs> and sometime later, I got this absolutely glorious thing. <laughs> it's just, it's so precise. It's, it's just, it's as loud as a 44 Magnum going off and it is just a brilliant <laughs> thing. Uh, I wouldn't have known exactly what to ask for. So uh, it's, it's, I think it's a good approach to, To, yeah. to have, getting your makers to make stuff. But if you're the designer, you need to be a bit more precise than that. Yeah, yeah, I have. Uh, and uh, that's why the, the work behind is uh, really detailed. Uh, okay. When I have, even if I have to choose how long uh, the, the grip has to be, how long yeah. the, the, 
the cross guard uh, or for example even how, how wide uh, the, the blade has to be all, all these little tiny uh, aspects uh, that maybe someone can uh, simply take an original and say okay I have the original I will do it exactly the same or more or less exactly the same um, I will think about it because also because um, first uh, it's very difficult for for us to approach museums uh, still uh, we have some uh, uh, very good relationships with some museums uh, in Europe uh, but uh, they are few and I don't have so uh, many available data every time I need it uh, I collect as much as I can as much data as I can uh, but when I when I have to uh, a design uh, for example a sport piece or a collectible piece the processes are completely different and the, sure. the, the thinking uh, behind is completely different um, even when I have to deal with uh, an original uh, reproduction a reproduction of an original um, the the deal for me is that I can't make sharp swords Malus Martialis can't make sharp swords. That's right, because the law in Italy is really fucked up about that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's weird. Uh, we, we don't produce them because we don't have the authorizations required to do that. And it would be a great investment for the uh, also the company in general. Uh, because we, we should have uh, security systems and uh, uh, serial numbers. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, uh, we, we would have to, to take an exam uh, and maybe one day we will do it. Uh, I've, got uh, a better, I've got a better idea, I've got a better idea. Just move to France or Germany or Britain or Finland yeah. or Sweden or any other country except Italy any and then you can country. make whatever the hell you like without any restrictions at all and so long as yeah. it doesn't actually explode... Nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just Italy that has these really screwed up sword laws. Yeah, and um, and th that's why uh, I <gasps> have to design. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had an idea. Yeah. I just had an okay. You design these amazing swords, right? And Rodolfo makes these amazing swords in Italy, and in Italy you can only make so. And I don't think you actually want to move to France, right? I, yeah. That's okay. All right. But have you thought about um, getting your swords made, getting sharp swords made outside of Italy? Mm -hmm. Right. And then, and as long as they're not being brought into Italy, so you're selling it to your, your customers, like, like your customers in England, for an example. Yeah. yeah. Right. You could get swords made to your specifications outside. Would that is that possible? Uh, this is something that I I thought, uh, but it's okay. It's difficult because uh, uh, sharpening a sword uh, as to, requires knowledge, you know. Sure. So, uh, for example, if a customer says to me, 
uh, oh, um, listen, I would like to uh, have that sword, uh, and then I, I will uh, sharpen it. And I say, yes, absolutely. Um, if I have to uh, give this work to another smith, for example, outside Italy, yeah. uh, the smith has to be available to do business with me. Yeah, sure. It's so, complicated. Yeah, there are some issues. (laughs) The 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 reason I thought of it is that uh, a friend of mine who does custom work, um, knives and swords, unbelievably beautiful knives and swords, he also designs knives for his cousin who runs a weapons shop. And they get those knives made in, um, I think, Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And they're actually, they're really good. They're really good. And they make loads of money. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just a thought. Um, I, I, I will think about it. <laughs> okay. Because you have, you have all this fantastic intellectual property, right? These, yeah. these designs that you've made. Yeah. Right. Which are your intellectual property. There, there, there should that. be ways of, you know, making it. About that, uh, mm-hmm. I, um, I had some issues uh, about intellectual property. Uh, recently Uh, I can't explain it in detail because it involves another producer Uh, but uh, let me guess did somebody did somebody borrow one of your designs yes motherfucker you can name them and shame them here if you like. No, 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 absolutely. But, yeah, okay. Even if we cut, I won't do it. Uh, no, fair enough, fair enough. Also, also because uh, they were available to uh, understand that there was uh, an error and uh, to put down the material uh, from their channels. So we, we oh, okay. came so, to... So you came to... They... they, they, they behave reasonably yeah absolutely okay very fine. kind okay. very kind then, and reasonable then then perhaps maybe they should just license some designs from you why yes not? <laughs> why not i mean that because <laughs> that way if 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 sword makers are looking for these designs licensing a design from you saves them a ton of time yeah. and and then also um it provides a small income stream into the company that doesn't involve you actually having to get out of bed in the morning. And yeah. Rodolfo can, you know, have a day off and the company's still <laughs> like to have <laughs> money. <laughs> it could be. It, it could be. It's a nice idea. And uh, uh, about the intellectual property, uh, um, there, there's uh, an issue uh, that the intellectual property can be uh, registered uh, if the... Uh, property is innovative and uh, uh, there is um, is new and something that has never been seen before you know because it is industrial property it's not like an artistic property okay ah, because we so have a company yeah you so you can't license it as uh, as uh, under artistic copyright you have to license it under like a trademark or a patent yes Exactly. Well, hang on, hang on though. Companies that produce art professionally, yeah, they can and books, for example, um, they get artistic copyright on their stuff. So just the fact that you're a company shouldn't make any difference. So you could, you could certainly get. I mean, your your designs are, if I understand, 
international copyright law even a little mm-hmm. bit. Your, your designs are copyrighted to you pretty much automatically. Mm-hmm. It's just, it can be difficult to prove that this sword that you've designed has now then been copied by somebody else because swords basically look the same. Yeah. To a, to a non-specialist. <laughs> yeah, and also, and also they are based on original, uh, already right. invented artifacts. <laughs> you <know>? True, true. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, well, we, we sort of stumbled into the whole business side of things. So what is it actually like running a sword business? It's kind of uh, tough. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yes. Um, because as I said before, when we started, we really didn't know anything about business and uh, instruments and uh, tools and so on. Uh, yeah. Why opening a company if you don't know how to do business? Well, when you're young and enthusiastic, you take foolish choices <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like moving to Helsinki and opening a sword fighting school when you yeah, have no qualifications exactly. whatsoever for instance and that seemed to work out all right so yeah <laughs> <laughs> in fact there is a famous aphorism among the startuppers and uh, that's yeah. fake it until you make it <laughs> that's right <laughs> so it works where we, we survived uh, for the first years uh, learning and learning and learning uh, for, for uh, important things, to be cautious, to be bold, to be quick and to be strong. There are following <laughs> the Fiore. Yeah, for, for, non, for non-Fiore listeners, those are Fiore's four virtues that A-Swordsman should have. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay. To be cautious and bold <laughs> and swift and strong. Okay, that is fascinating. I have actually written a piece on how Fiori's four virtues apply to business. Um, I've never published it, but it's there on my hard drive. <laughs> uh, I haven't quite figured out why I would publish it. But what? Okay, so tell me when you say when you say strong, what do you mean? Uh, stable stable and extremely uh, tough uh, against uh, issues and everyday difficulties because it's like determination uh, then yeah okay absolutely constance and determination always okay um caution caution requires discipline and uh, and and also uh, wisdom uh, because uh, when you approach business uh, you have to understand which is the right direction uh, where to invest your money yeah. uh, where people has to improve their skills uh, and you know time is money so when you improve something and you invest your time, uh, you are also spending your money. (laughs) And then also choosing the right materials, the right machines. Uh, For example, some years ago, uh, we, uh, I uh, decided 
that I wanted uh, a little CNC machine to practice. Uh, what? CNC machine. Oh, oh, CNC machine, right, yeah. Okay. Yeah, to, to practice, uh, to, mm -hmm. to learn, uh, also to make little uh, things because uh, it was something like this. I, I can I can yeah, see yeah. you in a, <laughs> in a screen like this, like the camera was one. <laughs> and um, it, it was a very silly uh, expense uh, and uh, and I realized it only after a couple of months uh, and right. uh, the, the CNC machine was already purchased. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for example, this, this is an example, of course, uh, but it is really... Uh, important to understand that when uh, when when you deal with money and you don't know how to use your money right maybe you make a lot of products maybe you make a, a lot of expenses you um, buy a lot of machines and in the end uh, you really need less yeah okay so what about speed Speed. Speed is about understanding the right timing, uh, understanding when you have to uh, make the next step. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's exactly like in fencing. Okay. <laughs> because so, but I mean, I assume it would also include things like making swords faster so that you can make more of them. Yeah. So that, but that, that's a kind of obvious yeah. application of the idea. But, um, uh, of course, uh, being uh, quick in, in your job comes with time because you practice sure. and practice and practice. And then right now, for example, uh, being a very small business as we are, we are able to uh, make around 70, so 60, 70 sorts every one month and a half. Wow, that's pretty quick. Yeah. And, that's uh, a lot more than I expected. Yeah. Good. And, that's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's really, really mm, difficult to uh, to always keep the rhythm in the right way because sometimes there are issues. Sometimes uh, uh, some partners uh, and suppliers don't act as they should uh, or they are late. So. Mm -hmm. The, the, the role managing uh, plus being able to stay uh, in time, on time, uh, it is something really important. Of course, organization is about also be, being quick. Right. I'm, I'm, I didn't realize that you were that productive, that you were able to produce what effectively like a sword and a half a day. Yeah. That's a lot. By hand. For a, for, a, yeah, for, a, for a small business making making swords, that is a lot. Yeah. Wow, I am very impressed. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so that's speed. Um, what about boldness? Boldness. Just buy the CNC machine, goddammit. <laughs> buy a bigger one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Boldness uh, is, is about... Uh, a, a lot of aspects in, in the business. I, I was always, and Rodolfo too, uh, we were always 
uh, not bold enough in presenting our our product, uh, in presenting okay. our uh, our skills, because uh, we are always uh, we we always feel in debt. Uh, we 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 always feel we are not enough, uh, and we we know that we don't have to. We 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 absolutely know that. But imposter syndrome is real. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> but uh, if we learn to to be a little more bold uh, through time and also to make sometimes bold and difficult choices, uh, also dealing with the employees, uh, dealing with uh, uh, with customers and partners, uh, I, I think that boldness uh, is a virtue that really helps. Yeah, and and. From, in my experience, where it counts the most is firing bad customers, right? Like when, when somebody is just annoying, then refund them all their money and tell them to go away. I, I right? get it. It's, yeah, I bet you have. And it is, it is, but it's so difficult to do because it's like you, you, want, you need customers, otherwise your business is going to fail. And... But, you know, if you're spending all of your time with customers who are just, you know, and, okay, it's been my experience, particularly if I run a crowdfunding campaign, that people who put in a big chunk of money are always absolute lambs to deal with, right? Yeah. No problem. Things are a bit late, they're fine. Things are, you know, you have trouble and you send out an email saying, sorry about this, that and the other, but I'm working on this, da, da, da. They're fine with it. Someone who's put in like, five euros or 10 euros or something. Yeah. They're the ones who are going to email you saying, da, 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 and, and, and poke, poke, and, and, and could we do this? And could I do that? And, da, 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 and, and it's like, so, so that's, that's why um, the last time I ran a crowdfunding campaign, I didn't have any of the tiers below about 20 euros. Cause in my experience, while yes, it's nice for people who want to support the project to be able to chuck in a few euros. That's a nice thing in both directions. Yeah. It opens the door to the people who are just going to be a giant pain. <laughs> so it's better <laughs> just to keep that door shut. I, I completely <laughs> understand. And uh, uh, I also think that um, maybe, yes, sometimes uh, people as mm, is really interested in our projects and want to participate <laughs> <laughs> in, yeah. in a very long conversation <laughs> but uh, also also sometimes um, w maybe I am not able to to make them happy maybe I am not right. understanding properly what they are saying or what they are asking uh, and that's why for example uh, from uh, last year uh, I started to ask for um, uh, a deposit for the design yeah. because sure. in the beginning it was yes I would like this 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 and I sketched it so uh, even 15 minutes of my life to sketch it yeah were lost if the customer in the end uh, didn't decide to to go on you know uh, right sure so so it's also about I think also about m rules and uh, um, uh, I don't know um, a 
code between the the, the customer and yeah. the, the producer. Yeah, I, I just had another idea. Yeah. Right. Okay. Because I'm I'm I've organized my business side of things to emphasize um, scalable products that can be sold automatically. Right. Yeah. Online courses, books, that kind of thing. All right. But I just had an idea. Right. Your designs. See, I've not actually seen what your design looks like when you draw it out and stuff. Okay. Mm -hmm. But how hard would it be to make a poster with a photograph of the finished sword and the designs and sketches next to it as a kind of, this is like the, the architecture of your sword, mm -hmm. right? Which could be like an add-on. So like, you know, you buy a sword, it's what, 500 euros or 600 euros or whatever. And for another like 20 euros, you can get a poster of your sword with like the actual dimensions and stuff and you can stick it on your wall. Wouldn't that be cool? And then people could just buy the poster. And these things yeah. can be printed, printed on demand, and you have that. And that way, if they put it up on their wall, you, you have, they're literally paying you to hang an advert for your company on their wall, in their sat. Absolutely, absolutely. This is, that, is a very is that, good idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, recently, um, several people asked me to ask us and asked me to mm -hmm. uh, make some merchandising. Uh, okay. so posters or even shirts or, mm, I don't know, mugs. I, lo I love mugs. I have a collection of mugs. It <laughs> 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 would be really, really nice with, uh, designs and, uh, of course, logo or, uh, art, uh, art stuff yeah. on it. Have a merch shop. But, but I'm thinking cause, cause, okay, your, your graphic design work is gorgeous. Just, I, I like, I saw that poster you did for my friend Chris Vanslenbrook's seminar yeah. when he came to Italy in 2015. Yeah. And it was just like, fuck, that's just a work. It's, it's, it's the only seminar poster I've ever seen that is just a work of art in its own right that you just hang on a wall, right? It was amazing. That's why I got you to do those, those, um, those covers for The me. covers, yes. Right? Because, <laughs> Thank you. like, it, but, so you have that skill. Yeah, make it, <laughs> make, make it work. Make it make might well, and and you're putting you're putting so much work into the designs themselves mm -hmm. that you know if you're if you, I'm sure you could create something that is just gorgeous that has like the design stuff, the sketches and and measurements and things, and the drawing maybe of the sword and maybe a photo of the finished sword or something like that, and then Malaise Martialis and maybe some other things, whatever. But I'm not a graphic designer. I don't know shit about such things. I hire people like you to do that for me, <laughs> right? But, I mean, it's, it would be beautiful sword art that people can buy while you're asleep. Yeah. And somebody else prints it, posts it, and then sends you the money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, really, I really understand uh, what you're saying. And mm -hmm. in this regard, um, beyond working on, uh, on the merchandising, uh, as soon as, as I can. Okay. Um, we are still uh, designing our way to uh, scale uh, the business yeah. in the future because right now we are at, ma at, at our maximum capacity of production. 
Right. You know. Sure. We, I mean, we, I think that's a, that is a lot of sorts. So how many, how many staff do you have? Uh, we are um, Rodolfo, uh, Fabio, and Simone in the smithy. Mm-hmm. Three. Yeah. That's but, three guys. Okay. But uh, Simone uh, is hybrid because it stays between the smithy and the office. Okay. Uh, and uh, in the office there is Sergio uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, in a part-time. Uh, yeah. that helps me in managing customers uh, uh, from yeah. this January. Yeah, I've, I've had emails from Sergio telling me my yeah. sword is going to be ready or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so we are five. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's not a lot of people to produce that many swords. Yeah. Particularly when two of them aren't smiths. <laughs> <laughs> And and so I I am uh, studying a way to to grow uh, and I I really look forward to to this Malus 2.0 <laughs> in the future. I had another idea, another yeah. product idea, something that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um. A this might be video or it might be. A series of images it might even be a book of how the sword goes from an idea in your head to a sword in somebody's hand mm-hmm. that's a process involving research and design and experimentation and sketches and all that sort of stuff and then make selecting the steel and making it and making the handle and stitching the leather and all that sort of stuff yeah that by itself there's lots of ways to make that process into a product that can scale. Mm-hmm. Like obvious being books, video, posters, even a video course, if someone is interested in actually, maybe a, maybe a an online course on how to design a sword, for instance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? That yes. can scale. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, we, we will have to... Uh, to to find the, the the best way to 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 scale, we we are still working on it, and these ideas are all really really. Good. <laughs> well, you know, I've I've been trying to make a living doing this for a long time. So, <laughs> um, okay, if any if you use any of my ideas and make a metric fuck ton of money, <laughs> I will happily. I will happily accept a free sword as a little thank you. That would be fine. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> when when I will be able to, uh, for example, uh, organize giveaways or uh, <laughs> auctions, but in a, in a very free way, uh, I I will I will always remember you, and I will accept <laughs> <on> a sword. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, so we, we talked quite a lot about sword design. So um, what do you think of Peter Johnson's theory about geometric sword design, which if I just summarize it briefly for listeners who may not have heard of it, um, Peter had this idea that, which I think is probably right, that the way swords were designed were entirely proportional rather than being strict measurements. They were like you have a straight line and you have a series of circles on those lines, on that line which intersects. And yeah. there are all sorts of ways of creating 
reproducible, scalable designs that way that are based on something intrinsic to the future owner. He was, I, I met him at Helsinki Knife Fair years and years ago. It must be like 2011 or something. And he told me this theory. And that made me think about Vadi. And that made me, that's what actually triggered me actually translating Vadi. Because <laughs> wow. Vadi mentions... That he mentioned yeah, geometry yeah. in his in his thing, so I, that that's how I ended up doing a translation of Vadis because of that conversation <laughs> about that design idea, um, and it also got me into geometry, so like sketching stuff with just a a, a ruler and a pair of compasses or dividers, and you know you can make all sorts of patterns that way, which yeah. are just super fun. So. I don't have an opinion about how historically accurate his theories are, but what do you think? First, I think that the theory is amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a very fine method for the reconstruction of ancient thoughts and related, uh, related reproductions. Um, though, uh, I, I don't use it for every sword I design. Mm-hmm. Uh, even our ancestors didn't use it uh, for every sword. Of course, it's a theory, so we really don't know if they used something like that. But we can approximately tell that if architecture was uh, um, designed after some rules and art followed that rules, th- those rules, even so design could follow sure. proportions and uh, golden ratio uh, rules and so on. Uh, and some some sorts, some original sorts, uh, after uh, also Peter Johnson's studies, uh, don't follow uh, necessarily uh, th- those rules every time. Um, and for me, it's the same. Uh, if I have uh, to make a design for a high-end uh, and specific uh, commission, uh, I, I can use it. Otherwise, I will take several examples of the original sorts and the average stats uh, to design the models. Uh, I won't go right. every time with the golden ratio uh, design. Okay, that makes sense. And... I think it's almost certain, it's as certain as we can reasonably be, that some smiths or sword designers at some point in medieval Europe will have used these sorts of methods because that's how people drew stuff, Yeah. right? Um, it certainly wouldn't be every smith every time. And I think sometimes it wouldn't be nearly so complicated because once you're making things with your hands, after a while... Once you've got the gross dimensions, mm-hmm. you won't you won't carefully trace out this curve on the pommel so that it matches this curve on the cross guard, you know, according to this particular Absolutely. geometrical regime. Absolutely. You'll just do it by eye and it will be and it will look perfect if you're a really experienced maker. Yeah. So I think But for example, even the, the blacksmith uh who has to to make a gate? I don't know for for, for a house. Right. Okay, um, he uses patterns. He uses uh, sure. um, also uh, repeated measures 
to yeah. uh, to create the the whole design uh, and to fit the gate into the house. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I think it's the same process for for the filmmaker. Um, and especially maybe not for serial production. So I don't think I use a very different uh, process in comparison with uh, uh, our ancestors because the serial production doesn't follow every time a redesign and uh, the design sure. is made one time. Uh, it works, the proportion works, uh, work, and so everyth everything can be produced and mm, uh, and if you, on the other hand, if you have to deal with the, that sword for that nobleman or that guy who wants something very special for him, then you go with something more special yeah. as well. So do you design uh, on paper or do you do it on a computer? I do it on a computer. Okay. That's definitely not medieval. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> right. I use it's, it's funny because I've I've tried. Yeah, I've I've tried um, for woodwork. There's um, CAD software called SketchUp, which is yeah, you know, it's cheap and it's very good and whatever. And I just can't get on with it. When I'm designing something that I'm going to make, I use a pencil and a piece of paper, and sometimes a ruler and occasionally a compass. But that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I I just can't I can't do it on the computer. The first uh, sketches, uh, when, when I have to, uh, to understand what pommel, what guard, mm -hmm. what blade, uh, the first sketches are made uh, on paper because I need paper too okay. to think. Mm -hmm. But when I have to develop right. the entire design, I go on the CAD software, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like I'll, I'll often plan a book with a pen and notebook, but I'll actually write it out into the computer because exactly. I'm too lazy to write it out by hand and then type it up. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so so what, what, is, what is your favorite thing about the job? My favorite thing, uh, I, I think that it's people. <laughs> Both okay. my, my mates, uh, my colleagues, uh, and uh, mm -hmm. and customers, customers, the relationship uh, I I am able to uh, to create uh, because yes, sometimes they both make me nervous because I'm not Gandhi, uh, but I truly love to serve <laughs> them and to share laughs, memories, and a path with them. That that's the best part of my okay. job. Yeah. Okay. That's not what I expected. I expected it would be the design. I thought, you know, <laughs> sketching out swords would be the best bit, but no. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I guess like with, with swords, like teaching swordsmanship, um, the showing up in person and teaching in person so everyone is in the room holding a sword and we're all in the room together, then that, that is the best bit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, we are keepers. Social. Well, yeah. and, and it's a fundamental, like, it's a, it's a, it's a social thing. And, you know, yeah. when somebody comes to you because they want a sword and you make them the sword and they get super happy about it, it's just a positive cycle all the way around. Huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, 
So what is the best idea you haven't acted on yet? <laughs> this is Apart from all of my brilliant product design ideas, my product ideas, apart from those. This is the most difficult questions, uh, question of all. Uh, okay. And, if, and even if I add a best idea, I couldn't tell because I'm very jealous of my ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. See, I, I give all by the way. Because yeah. ideas, the, 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 the hard part isn't having the idea. The hard part is the execution. Yeah. Right? Because most people um, can produce ideas left, right, and center. But it is difficult to act on some ideas. It's difficult to take something from an idea in your head to actually make it a physical reality in the world. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Um, so and I don't mostly, ever worry about people stealing my ideas. <laughs> mostly because when I have an idea, uh, I tend to uh, work towards it. Um, mm -hmm. my, my ideas are not fantasies. My ideas are willings, you know? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I understand the difference. So, so your ideas are not just fancies in your head. They are, they are things you are likely to act on. So, yeah. so in which case, let, let me rephrase the question. What idea is next to be acted on? I think that um, developing the business uh, okay. by uh, also working on its processes is the next thing in line. Okay. Uh, because my dream... Uh, our dream is to bring Malleus uh, uh, to another level. Uh, we don't want to stay uh, as uh, a small craft business for all our lives. Oh, okay. <laughs> we want to bring uh, our craftsmanship and uh, our uh, our love for, for swords and our uh, skills uh, to serve the community in a wider way. Okay. Uh, so I have lots of ideas about that. And mm -hmm. uh, right now I am working on new designs uh, okay. to be able to scale a little bit more the production uh, okay. in the future. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it's going to be, you know, I can go to my supermarket and buy a Malaya's Martialis sword next year. <laughs> you know, I'll have a bunch no, of bananas, no, no, no. I'll have a packet of coffee and I'll have a long sword. Thank you very much. Brilliant. No, 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 no. You, you will go, you will go in a wonderful palace full of um, diamonds and golden stairs. And there will be a man who will come you and say, oh, take a look to the wonderful Malus sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. More, more, more Louis Vuitton than Alvin. Yeah, it. exactly. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> you perfectly uh, understand. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm glad that you're aiming high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, because... I guess one of the issues at the moment is you have quite a long lead time. Mm -hmm. Like it's like four or five months usually. Yeah. 
between right now is around six six months right Mm-mm. um and i guess if you if your production was ramped up to the point where you could clear the backlog and actually get a stock in so people could buy it and have it next week we already good. have something like that because our uh, production is Ooh. always uh, divided into uh, categories the commission for the customers and the in-stock products okay so you have you actually have i'm just going onto your onto your website right now yeah and yeah. So i'm gonna have a look at what you've got in stock yeah <laughs> okay oh instead while i'm indulging myself like this um what what made you call it Maleus Martialis? What does it mean? Uh, it means um, the hammer of uh, Hares, of Marte. Of, uh, of, of Mars, yeah. The, the god of war. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, it was, uh, I, I really don't know where it comes from because uh, uh, I really didn't... Uh, uh, ask Rodolfo where the first idea came. I don't know why, okay. but I, I, I never did it <laughs> because it sounded cool and yeah, okay, that's cool. <laughs> but okay. uh, but I think that uh, it was because in the beginning uh, you really wanted to learn how to hammer uh, the metal and it was really... Mm-hmm interested and it was uh, it was uh, an historical fencer himself so the two souls uh, the forge and the fencing together okay yeah so so it's it's the hammer of mars yeah okay and while i while i was listening to you say that and i was fooling around on your in stock thing you actually have an einhorn messer in stock that yeah. you have subtitled Mr. Bad Guy. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it, it's it, it's it's like it's like you're you're sort of you're trying to tell me something. <laughs> <laughs> because he's um, uh, light but aggressive, so it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's like Freddie Mercury <laughs> in, his, <laughs> in his golden years. <laughs> That's, that's it. Oh, it's a beast. Oh, yes. Okay. Hmm. Right. Put your credit card down, Windsor. <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, we always keep some stock uh, available until it is finished, of course. Uh, sure. Because it's really important to us always to offer ready-made uh, or ready-to-buy uh, mm-hmm. sorts uh, of course, uh, uh, we we have to make uh, the commissions. So for custom orders, uh, we take some more time. For the uh, usual uh, sorts, for example, side sorts, uh, mm-hmm. maybe you can have it in uh, one month and a half because we in the stock we we always have, uh, for example, something that we. Uh, give to the customers when they contact us and we they reserved it you know uh, okay. so, so it's something that is uh, is working but uh, to be really really uh, uh, quick and uh, to to go uh, and cut the six months when we don't make a uh, 
particular product uh, frequently, then we need uh, other, other methods, other processes for the future. Yeah, tricky. Okay, so you're going to have to come back on the show in, in a year or so and you know, tell us that you have cracked the problem and now <laughs> anyone can just go in and get whatever long sword they want or side sword yeah. or whatever else. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, so my, my last question is yeah. someone gives you a million euros or similar sum of imaginary money to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide. How would you spend it? I think that a million dollars is maybe more than I need. <laughs> really? Most people say it's not enough. Okay, so what would you do with it? I, I will try to, to answer. I would heavily develop the firm and its processes quicker. <laughs> ah, no, 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 you know, yes. copies of Capoeira from 1610 and the source <laughs> from or whatever else. I, you got to spend it. But I serve the community. <laughs> and you True. too, so, with your Capoeira. And, so <laughs> and, and, so, and so do I. But exactly. honestly, 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 I think, I think the community could maybe, like, I could take that money and use it to do what I already do a bit better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but it's not going to make it's not going to make a gigantic difference in the same way that for example I mean one suggestion has been a sort of a fund so that groups that are starting up can get can afford an, a, a, a set of equipment um, swords and masks and whatnot to help them get started I, I right. think that would make that, a bigger uh, difference uh, I, I think that um, I would organize and fund uh, more events and exhibitions about swords okay. and historical fencing, uh, where where we can meet, promote, learn this art, uh, also training uh, children to to this art. Oh yeah. Uh, so surely. Um, I, I would invest heavily in uh, in events and exhibitions. This would be my, my my target goal. Okay, so maybe maybe funding some events um, that will get people started, or the, for people who are already practicing. And, yeah. and if, if the event is funded, then maybe there'll be some free space free places open, possibly even some travel grants to get people coming. Yeah. Why not? Okay. Why not? And of course, you know, all of these events, there would be a sponsored by Malaise Martialis. And here's, a, here's, <laughs> oh, here's an God. enormous table of swords that you can buy <laughs> while you're here. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, okay. there's something there's something more that I would do, uh, in, and this is about it, it's not about the, the whole community, but it's about uh, the, the ones who uh, would be willing to to do it. Um, I really would like to invest um, a great part of this money uh, in in education. 
Um, okay. Education has always been a big part of my of my life. Even when I sang, uh, I I wanted to teach singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, when I started to make reenactment, in the end, uh, I ended up in making my own association uh, and uh, teaching. We didn't talk about that at all. Okay, so you started your own historical fencing club. <laughs> no, no, it's not about historical fencing club. Uh, it's reenactment. I really, okay. really sh- separate the two okay. completely. Yeah, me too. And um, uh, for example, in my... Uh, I I led this association until last year when I okay. said this is the time I leave my friends. Okay, so okay, like what, Gandalf. What, what, <laughs> yeah. So what what's the association? Uh, its name is uh, Gonfarone del Drago, and uh, okay. it's an association in Florence uh, who reenacts uh, the the end of the 14th century. Okay. Uh, and uh, and we really uh, wanted to when when we started, uh, we really wanted to make things right uh, with the research, uh, with the uh, the reconstruct the proper reconstruction of uh, uh, tools and clothes and so on. Uh, living history, you know. Okay, so it's it's a, <laughs> it's a full on living history, um, physical culture, um, material culture. Exactly. Um, Reenactment group, Gonfalone exactly. del Drago, so the the banner of the dragon. Yeah, exactly. Because there's a okay. there's a quarter right. in Florence, uh, which is divided in four parts. Every quarter in Florence is divided mm-hmm. in four parts, and one of the quarters of uh, uh, Santo Spirito quarter is Gonfalone del Drago. All mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So you named after that. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay, and I assume that most of these people are reenacting using Malaya swords, right? Yes, but not only. Uh, also, for example, Todd. No? Okay. <laughs> also, also. Oh also, yeah, Todd, Todd's cutlers. He. Yeah. He makes some very nice stuff. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. I really admire him. So you were running this this club. Yeah, he's very good. Um, so you were running this club. For like seven what, years, ten years, <laughs> and uh, seven years. okay, I I did it because I I liked to to share and to study, and uh, mm-hmm. about the the million dollars to to come back to the the origin of of this. Yeah, um, I really would like to invest those money in uh, in uh, education uh, about. Uh, uh, fencing swords and all our heritage uh, because we are a niche you know I don't want to be uh, yeah, a mess a mess argument but uh, people yeah. should know better about their past and about their history by touching with uh, their own hands yeah I can so so when you've sorted out the Malayas sort of processes and everything, and it has expanded into this gigantic sword empire, you will have a spare million euros that you can spend on this project. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and surely, surely, uh, 
some of this money spent in education mm -hmm. uh, would go um, uh, for uh, for uh, helping children uh, to also children that are not living in in a right way in uh, in a difficult situation to mm, rise from their difficulties through fencing too it would be amazing yeah it would be really would. really amazing because, because yeah i, I mean think there's so many so many yeah yeah so, so many kids like came out of bad situations through football or boxing yeah or, exactly um or music even, um, and why not through historical fencing as well? Exactly. There are two less young people uh, who started to, to approach historical fencing uh, without being a case, okay? They, mm. they find historical fencing, but they don't know it exists many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And if, if, if more people knew we existed, then that would definitely be better. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Elnora. It's been lovely catching up with you. For me too. It was amazing to meet you and to, to share a chat together. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Eleonora. You can find the episode show notes at swordschool.com forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can sign up to my mailing list and I'll send you a free copy of my book, Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. I'd like to thank my patrons on Patreon for their kind support of the show. It lets me know that you care about the show and want it to continue. You can join us there for behind-the-scenes content and to submit your questions for future guests. That's patreon.com forward slash the sword guy. Thanks, as always, to Andrew Lawrence King for the Baroque harp accents originally recorded for my Paradoxes of Defence audiobook project. Also, I am collecting questions for an Ask Me Anything episode of the show. So if you're on my mailing list, you'll have had an email already asking you to send in your questions. But if you are listening to the show and are not on my mailing list, you should joy well get on it. But whether you're on it or not, you can send me an email to guy at guywindsor.com with any question you may have. I don't promise to answer it, but I do promise to at least read the email. Join us next week when I'll be talking to Adam Franti, who is a member of the Maya Prefecture Guild, an organiser of the Midwest Historical Fencing League, and he also started the Lansing Longsword Guild in the summer of 2017. Plus, he is the host of the podcast Murder Hobos, which covers chivalry, dueling and warfare. Now, you don't want to miss that, so subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from. And while you're there, please do rate the show, and if you have an extra minute, leave a review. It really does help. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week.